It was given a great opportunity for a new job in a, a new city, and uh, when she moved to the new city, she thought she'd be immediately surrounded by several friends, and, uh, but when she got there, she found out that that was not going to be the case, that she was actually uh, very isolated, and she started to struggle with this idea of loneliness, and uh, she wrote this article about the move, and she said in the article that I used to think all I needed was God. And that the loneliness that I struggle with was just helping me to turn to God instead of relying too much on people. She goes on to say, there is some truth to that. But the truth is that our heart needs more than an individual relationship with God. You see, what Marissa was missing is what so many people in our world today are missing. They're missing this sense of community. They're missing this sense of belonging, this, this sense of uh, a group that is bigger than they are and a group that does life together. You see, all of us inside, even though we may be introverted, we may be extroverted, doesn't matter how verted you are, uh, we all have this sense of community, this need for community. We need to be part of bigger or part of something bigger than we are. We all need people who will surround us in times of struggle, in times of difficulty. We all need people that we can, from time to time, lean on uh, to help us walk through some of the darkest tragedies of life. When, when families fall apart, when finances dwindle, when addictions wrote, uh, refuse to release their grip on life, and when disease strikes and when death takes a loved one. You see, these are the times that we need somebody to show up at our front door. These are the time when we need someone to pick up the phone and will answer the call. These are the times that, that we need somebody who will just send that comforting text and just say, hey, we're thinking about you. We're praying for you. But there's other times that, that we don't need those people, but we need to be those people. That we are the ones that need to be useful. That we are the ones that need to use the skills and things that we have to help other people. And there's these, these opportunities to serve others and opportunities to be that encourager, the mentor, the advisor, the one who points someone in the right direction. To be that person that shows up at just the right moment. You see, the good news is that God knows we have this need, and He's created this remarkable tool that's designed just to meet that need. It's this community that we're sitting in right now. It's this community that we call church. In Hebrews chapter 10, He shows us this tremendous value of church for all of us. You see, church is the place that gives us an opportunity to meet the needs of people, but also to have our needs met. It's a place where, our, where we can have community that we long for and connections that we desperately desire. It's the value of this community that Marissa later found out that she was missing her life. And after connecting with the church, she wrote in the same article, she said, through community and these new people that God has brought into my life, I am encountering God in new ways and growing in ways that I could have never thought of without this community. You see, what Marissa discovered was not only the value of the church, but the deep truths of Hebrews chapter 10, that there is strength in numbers, there is connection in community, and there is value in the church. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19 um, and read through verse 25 this morning. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 starts off, says, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, he is open for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience of our bodies, or, or excuse me, and our bodies washed in pure water. Verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised 
is faithful. Verse 24, and let us concern or be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Father, God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that you are the firm foundation, the solid rock that we can build our life on. And God, we can build our, all of our foundation on, Father. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the grace that you extend to us, the mercy that you give us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And this morning, Father, I'm praying so hard, God, that you will speak through this text. God, that there are many of us sitting here, God, that we need to do exactly what your word has called us to do. We need to draw near to you this morning, Father. And God, I pray that if we haven't done it any other time this week, if we haven't done it any other time this month, or maybe even any other time in our life, God, that now be the time, God, that we do exactly as your word tells us, to draw near, to come close, God, to sit and be with you in this moment, Father. God, I pray that we seek you, because you have opened the door to be found by us. And so, God, I pray that you will speak. And I pray, God, that we are ready to hear the words that you have for us this morning. God, for some of us, these are going to be great words of comfort. For some of us, God, these words may sting a little bit because they're going to draw us to a place that, that maybe we're not exactly comfortable being. But it's words that are true and words that we need to hear because they're the words that are bring us life, Father. And so, God, this morning, I pray that you speak. God, I pray that we see the value in this coming together, this assembling together. God, and I pray that as we do this, God, that we will learn more of your gospel. God, that we will love deeply and passionately you deeper in every day. And God, we will leave here on fire, ready to live out the gospel for you, Father. So God, I pray that you speak. And I pray that we are ready to listen, not just with our ears, but with our heart and our mind and our soul as well. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stephen Cole is a pastor, and uh, several years ago, he, he kind of got this idea that he wanted to know what people outside of church thought about church. Did they see any value in it? Did they see any importance in what we take for granted every single day? And so he kind of did this uh, self um, reporting this, this self-man on the street kind of interviewing. And he decided he was just going to go out into the, the city that he was in and just walk around the streets and randomly ask people just one question. Why is the church important? That was the only question he wasn't wanting to answer or looking to get answered. And if they wanted more information, they would give more information. If they wanted to give more information, they could do that. But why is the church important? There were several people that he talked to that said, honestly, we don't know. There is, there is nothing important about the church. We see no value in it all. There are others that said, hey, it might have been valuable at one time. There might have been a purpose for it at one time. And uh, there, there, There's this huge historical value, man. It's, there's this landmark in our community that we can tell people, hey, go past the building that looks different than every other building and take a ride. So it's this value and this historic value, this, this landmark. But honestly, we don't have any value of what goes on inside of that building. That there's this uh, disconnect between what is told about that building and about this place and what actually is going on in life today. And so uh, at one time it may have been valuable, but right now it's so irrelevant that there's no purpose besides this historical value that, that what goes on there is so out of touch with our modern world. And he kind of expected those answers. 
he walked down the street a little further and uh, he, he asked some more folks and uh, he, he entered a kind of a different section of town and those folks said, well, that's the political view of church. He said what, what they told him was that, that they gave him this idea that church is this demographic voting block for either one party or the other and, and so their votes really do matter. And so if you can convince the church to vote one way, then you've got a whole demographic of folks that are on your side. Other folks saw the church for its social institutions, for the, the social work that it does, the, the feeding the poor, the helping the homeless, the, those things that uh, when someone was in emotional needs and the loneliness and the distraught, that they reached out to those. And those are the answers that he expected to find. And so as he walked down the street and he kept asking the same question, why is the church important? And he kept asking all these folks and, and videotaping some of their responses. And finally he came across one man that gave him an answer that he was really kind of blown away with and really gave him a new passion for the church. And he approached this one man on the street and he asked him, he said, can I ask you this one question? He says, sure. He says, why is the church important? And the man answered this. I'm going to read it straight for you. He says, I believe the church of Jesus Christ is the most important force in the world today. Its task is more important than all the governments and universities of the world combined. There is nothing to compare with it. That's a very different answer than everybody else had given this pastor. That's a very different answer than he was expecting. And so he, he said, that's a, that's a strong statement. Do you, do you want to follow that up? Do you want to tell me why you feel that way? And the man said, it's simply this. He said, because the most significant event in human history was when the living God took on human flesh and lived among us as the Lord Jesus Christ to bear our sins. And since he ascended into heaven, his church is here now to reveal him to the rest of the world. You see, it's through the church that we learn about who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And some of us have been with us, some of you have been with us for a while, and you may remember that we started this uh, kind of program back in September. We kind of entitled it Complete Discipleship, and it's got three parts to it, and we're going to work through those three parts again this morning. Uh, but the first part of it um, is, uh, the, we call them the three L's. The first part is learn, and our goal since September has been to do just that, to learn more about who God is, to learn more about what God is like, to learn what the gospel is and what the gospel actually says. And, and, and so for you, if you've been here since September, uh, you, you've kind of seen every month what we've challenged you to do is we've given you two verses or, or sets of verses that we really want you to memorize um, in that month. And we've intentionally picked those two verses. We've been intentional about them. One of them is typically from the Old Testament, and it really was focused on the characteristics of God. What is God like? And the other passage was typically paired with that one was one from the book of Hebrews, which gave us this beautiful, deep understanding of what the gospel is. Why is the gospel essential? Why is Christ so sufficient? Why is He so supreme? Why is He greater than anything else? And, and some of you may remember that September is also the time we started walking through the book of Hebrews. And I was talking with somebody the other day, and they're like, yeah, we've been in the book of Hebrews for a really long time. Like, when did we start this? And I was like, September. And they're like, whoa. That's a long time to be in one book. And I said, yeah, uh, we're only in chapter 10. We've still got three more chapters to go. And I'll be honest with you, I've got a book in my office that I, I work through and I read a lot. And, and I was working through it, and I'm only about halfway through that book. And I was like, 
man, like I thought we were getting on the downhill side of Hebrews, and then I realized it has Hebrews and James in it, all right? So good news, we're not going to be in this for another six months, okay? We're going we're to finish up the book of Hebrews, but it's going to take us a while. But we've intentionally spent some time in Hebrews because the first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews are so rich and so beautiful in describing the superiority of Christ and the sufficiency of His sacrifice. And so for nine and a half chapters, we have been learning what the gospel is. Is. We, we've been learning why Christ is so essential to our relationship with God. And so uh, we get to chapter 10 and really verses 19 through 21, and they kind of act as this summary statement for all that he's been saying in the first nine and a half chapters. Now, some of you like the Cliff Notes version. Some of you didn't read when you were in college or high school. You just bought those little cheat notes or Cliff Notes, and this is the Cliff Notes of what you've been missing for the last nine and a half chapters. So if you haven't been with us for, since September, that's okay. You're going to get it all here in three verses, right? So verse 19 starts this summary statement, and he says, Therefore, right? since we've been talking about all this stuff, since we had this grass from the gospel that we've been learning over the last nine and a half chapters. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by a new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. And then verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, if you've been with us since September, you heard all of that stuff. We spent a whole lot of time talking about the great high priest. We spent a whole lot of time talking about the sanctuary that he presides over. We spent a whole lot of time talking about how his blood is sufficient and why it's sufficient and all the animal sacrifices are not. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that we have learned that Jesus has made a way for us to come back to God, that he has reconciled us to our creator, that God who made us loves us so much that even though we were in rebellion of him, even though we were fighting against him, he made a way for us to come back to him. You see, and the way was not through the Old Testament. The way was not through the priests of the, of the Jewish faith. It was not through the sacrifice of animals that had repeated over and over and over, day after day after day. And, and none of that could take away our sins. None of that allows us to come into the presence of God. That's what we've covered in the first nine and a half chapters of this book. And so he summarized it there. And he says simply this, the only way back to the presence of God is through the blood of Jesus. He is the new and living way. He's the one that died on the cross for us for our sins and not for his sins. We spent time talking about the, the tabernacle and the temple and how there was this curtain that separated the holy of holies that was God's presence from everything else. And he says this, that he has made a way through the curtain, that he has opened up the curtain for us. You see, he gave us access to the Holy of Holies. He gave us access to the Father. That the Old Testament was telling you, you had this clear message in the Old Testament, that you are unclean, that you are unholy, and you dare not enter the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, Christ comes. And he dies on the cross. And the message of the Bible completely changes. He, he, he comes and he dies on the cross. And when he dies on the cross, it tells us in, in the description that we'll read in a couple weeks about Easter, that the curtain, the veil of the curtain, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, God's presence from everything else, was ripped in two from top to bottom. That all of a sudden there was access granted for not just the priest one day a year, but for everybody. His blood was shed. And so now we can be washed. And so now the message of the word is come in. The door is open for you. You see, we spent nine and a half chapters learning that. So congratulations, you got six months worth of material in 30 seconds right there. And so we, we know that, we're, we're working through that. And now he starts with, now that we know this, 
He gives us instructions of what to do with this. Right? I don't know if you've ever been in a class where somebody just gives you all this information, or maybe in a workshop, they just download all this information into your mind, and you're like, all right, now what do I do with this? Well, here's the beauty of the writer of Hebrews. He gives us the now what. And starting in verse 22, he gives us this is what you do with this. And so verse 22 starts three things that we're to do, how we're supposed to respond to this gospel. And every one of them, verse 22, 23, and 24, they all start with the exact same phrase. Let us. Now that we've learned the gospel, here's what you do with it. In verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. The first thing we do with the gospel that we've learned is we take advantage of it. That we do what it allows us to do. We draw near. We come close to Him. You see, God has extended to us grace. He's extended us to mercy through the cross of Jesus Christ. And He's saying, come close. And the call to you this morning is to come close, to accept it. Come and close and receive it. Reach out and take what He's offering. Don't keep a distance because God has opened up the curtain. Don't keep a distance. Don't keep away because Jesus has opened up access to you. Don't keep out when God is begging you to come in. Come in. Draw near. Now let me be clear to you. There are a lot of folks that will tell you they can follow this verse and they can do exactly as this verse says without ever stepping foot in a church. They can tell you, I can draw near to God without having to be in church at all. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you, you can. Right? He's not telling you to draw near to church in this passage. I want to be true to the text. He's not telling you to draw near to the church. He's telling you to draw near to Him. And He doesn't tell you to draw near the church because He's trying to somewhat distance Himself from God being in a central place of the tabernacle. So He's telling you to draw near to God. And yes, you can do that apart from church. You can draw near to God without coming to church, but my guess is that very few of us would ever have the full assurance and the full idea of what this invitation really meant. You see, because a lot of us can draw near to God anywhere we are. In fact, we can all draw near to God anywhere we are, but my guess is that very few of us are going to learn the value of what it means to have our hearts sprinkled from an, clean from an evil conscience, that very few of us are going to understand what it means to have our bodies washed in pure water apart from learning it in church. You see, church is where many of us learned those early Bible studies or stories. It's where we learned about the temple. It's where we learned about the tabernacles. It's where we learned about the sacrifices. It's where we learned about the priests. It's where we learned about there were there was sin in our life. And it's where we learned about these things that had to take place and, and these sacrifices and the blood had to be sprinkled on certain parts of the temple to purify it. It's where we learned about these ritual washings that the priest had to do to get into his presence. And so while you can draw near to God apart from all of that, Man, church is where it really opens your eyes to the beauty of this passage. It really opens your eyes to the depth and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church is where it opens our eyes to the beauty and the value of these statements that we often just glance right over. And so, yeah, you may draw near to him without church, but I'm going to tell you this. If you do it, you're going to miss the value of the full invitation, or the full value of the invitation. And so as a church, we learn the value of of this invitation. We learn the reason that His blood had to be shed for us. We learn that there was a standard that must be met. We learn that we have fallen far short of this standard that had to be met. And we learn that there had to be blood that was shed for that, for that sacrifice or for that sin that we had. We learn that His sacrifice is sufficient for us. You see, my guess is that most of us didn't pick all of that up just sitting in a deer stand drawing near to God just watching nature. Can I be honest with you? You're not going to get the gospel by drawing near to God on your own. 
You're not going to get... I, I love nature. I love going and climbing and sitting on a mountaintop just like everybody else. And, and I will sit on a mountaintop and I'll look over the beauty of God's creation. And I feel God's presence in that moment. Those are moments that I draw near to God. And I'm going to share with you, you can do that. But the reason that God is so beautiful in those moments is because I know how filthy and dirty and unholy I am in those moments. And yet He loved me enough to give me the gospel anyway. You see, you can draw near apart from the church, but the church is where you learn how beautiful the gospel is. And so we draw near with this better understanding of the gospel because we spent time learning it. And through this community that we call the church, we have learned what the gospel is and the beauty of it. So we draw near with this full appreciation of the invitation that God has given us. And see, when we've learned the true value of the gospel, we've learned what Christ really did for us. When we learn that, it makes us fall deeply and passionately in love with, with Him. You see, this is the second of the three L's in our complete discipleship model that we started in September. We, we start with understanding that there are a lot of people that have this head knowledge of the gospel. There's a lot of people that have uh, years of Bible study, and they can tell you years and, and tons of things about the Bible. They, they've got all of these stories that they know. They've got all these verses that they memorize. They can quote verses to you. They can tell you Bible story after Bible story. There are folks that can name every plague that hit Egypt. There are folks that can tell you every stop that Paul made on his first, second, third missionary journey. There are folks that can tell you every church that was mentioned in the book of Revelations, and yet they're missing the most important part of it. They're missing the relationship with God. You see, this is what God or Jesus tells the Pharisees over and over and over. Yeah, you guys know the rules. You know the rituals, but you're missing the relationship. You're missing the point of it all. The point is not the rules. It's the relationship. The point is not that you wash yourself and cleanse yourself. The point is that you are clean so that you can be in front of God. You can be in God's presence. And if you miss the relationship, then you miss the whole thing. And so every month we challenge you not only to memorize these verses but also these creative ways to express your love to God. And this past month, we challenged you to, to really make sure He's first in every aspect of your life. And we've asked you to pray about that. God, is there any part of my life that you are not first in my life? Reveal that to me. And if there is, then give me the courage to take the steps to put you first. We've asked you to commit to worshiping Him and to commit to letting others know how much you love Him. You see, this is the proclamation of your love that you have for Him and what He's done for you. And this is exactly what we see in verse 23. In verse 23, after He tells us to draw near to Him, He tells us in verse 23, He says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. This word confession often gets misunderstood. You see, when we hear the word confession, one of two things pop in our mind depending on how we grew up. If one of two things will come to your mind, and one of them may simply be that you confess to something that you did. A confession is what a criminal does when they're put in the little room there with one little spotlight on because we all saw that in the movies. We know that's exactly how it works. That there's one little light in the room, there's this detective like pounding the thing, and then you're going to confess to this crime, but it's all in this one little room. And for some of you, that's where your mind goes. For some of you, you grew up in a different uh, kind of religious tradition and confession doesn't look like that, but it looks like this other little closet that you walk into and there's, a, there's two doors to it. You walk in one door and you know there's a priest sitting inside the other door, but there's a wall that separates you and you confess to that priest all the sins that you committed. You confess all the times that you fell short and all the times that you did things you weren't supposed to and you confess all of those things to him. In this little booth that you walked in. And, and the, the 
interesting thing about this is that it gives us this picture of this very private matter. Because if you've been in that tradition or you know of that tradition, maybe you've even seen it on movies, the, the priest doesn't even know who's doing the confessing. It's very private. And so it gives this idea that this confession is a private matter. But I've got to share with you, that's not the meaning of this word here. Confession is the meaning of this word, but it can also be translated a different way. It can also be translated as a proclamation. You see, when we understand that a confession is a proclamation, it's not this private matter, it's this open profession, this open proclamation of why we have hope and why we put our trust and faith in Him. In essence, this is what worship is. This is what we've been doing since 10 o'clock this morning. This is what we've been doing when we gather to worship, when we sing songs of praise. We are making this public profession of who He is and singing praises to Him. That We, we, we make this profession... That this is the God that we trust in. This is the God who we're going to build our life on. This is the God who's going to be our solid rock. This is the God who is the firm foundation. What you've been doing is exactly this. You've been making this proclamation. And He's telling you to hold on to it. Keep doing it. When you enter the waters of baptism or you join a church for membership, it's this making this public proclamation that we believe in Jesus. We believe that His sacrifice was sufficient and we're going to live by His example for the rest of our lives. We proclaim that we join a church and we hold to its beliefs. You see, worship is this proclamation of our love for Him. Worship is this confession that our hope is in Him because we know that He is faithful regardless of what's going on in our life. Worship is what He's telling you to hold on to. Hold on to this profession that everybody sees and everybody hears and everybody knows. Hold on to that. To draw near. Hold on. And it brings us to our last L on our list that was to live out the gospel. You see, worship in church is not just for your benefit. So often we, we hear about folks that will quit coming to church and like, well, I just... I just don't get anything out about it. I just don't get anything out of it. And I, I can have those conversations with people, and I've had those conversations with people before, but like, well, you know, we've been missing you in church, and, well, I can just quit going because I don't get anything out about it. I don't get anything out of it. The sermons are too long. They're too boring. I don't like the music. I just, I just don't get anything out of it. And so what I'm reminded in this passage is often church is not about what you get out of it, but sometimes it's about what you put into it. You see, church is not just for you. It is not just for your relationship with God. It's for all of those people that are sitting around you. Understand this, that if it was only about you and your relationship with God, God would have never established this place in the first place. He would have never established the church in the first place. He established it because we need each other. We worship together. And when we worship together, we strengthen each other. So listen to me. When you show up this morning... You strengthen other people to show up this morning and next Sunday and the Sunday after that. When you stand up and sing, you strengthen other people to worship God the same way, to stand up and sing as well. And I know I'm with you. Some of us are terrible singers. But listen, if you're a terrible singer, you still strengthen other people to sing. You know how I know that? Because the good singers around you are going to sing louder to cover you up. You strengthen them. The bad singers around you are going to be like, listen, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as this dude, all right? So at least I can sing better than this guy, right? When you stand and you worship and you sing, it's not just for you. The reason we sing out loud is because it is for other people to be hearing and other people to be filled with what you're filled with, other people to see what you're doing so that they're built up as well. When you bow your heads to pray and someone looks down the aisle and says, I love it when somebody prays. I thought I was the only one that does it. When you sit down at your meals 
at work or wherever you sit down and meal and you bow your heads to pray, somebody takes note of that. I want to share with you that I've been to restaurants before and, uh, with my family and we sit down and right before the, when the food comes out, we all stop and we all say a prayer. And there's been times that other people have walked over to our table and be like, that's beautiful that you guys, you guys do that as a family. You see, prayer is not just for us. Worship is not just for us. It is for those that are around us as well. Because all of us knows what it's like to feel alone. All of us know what it's like to feel like we're the only ones doing this thing called Christianity. We're the only ones that are the ones who are living this thing out. And so when we, when we come to church, when we sing, when we bow our heads in prayer, it is that we strengthen other people to do the same thing, which gets us to verse 24, which is the last let us in response to the gospel. And it shows us this beautiful value of the church. In verse 24, he writes this. He says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. I love this verse because it shows us why what happens on the inside of these walls is so different than what happens on the outside of these walls. You see, outside of these walls, this world has a message for you. Outside of these walls, the, the, the American dream has a message for you, and it's simply this. Take care of number one. Take care of yourself first. Take care of your family second, and let everybody else be pushed to the side. But can I share with you, the moment you come into these walls, that message is reversed Take care, number one, is not you anymore. Do you understand what he's telling you in this passage? That what's on the inside of these walls is not take care of number one. It is be concerned about one another. And this word concerned is a beautiful word. It means to carefully give attention to. It means to fix your eyes and your mind on someone. So understand this. This is not the greeting that you do. When you pass somebody in the hallway, this is not when you're walking through your job or your workplace, or you're encountering somebody and you're like, hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. And you keep going the opposite directions. That's not being concerned with one another. Fixing your eyes on someone, paying attention to them. It means that you actually stop and you look at them and you shake their hands and you look straight in their eyes and you're like, no, really, how are you doing? I know life has kicked your butt this past week. I know life has kicked your butt this past month, so let's sit down and let's talk about it. How are you really doing? And it's okay not to be okay. And I love you enough to be concerned about you. I'm fixing my eyes. I'm giving you my attention, not just on your eyes, but I'm listening and I'm looking in your eyes, but I'm looking into your heart and your soul because I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned about you. This is what He's telling us to do. So let us... Hold on to our confession of faith, but let us be concerned with one another. It means that we have this connection with each other, that we actually stop and listen to each other, that we take time out of our schedules and we focus on the life of someone else because we value them as a brother and sister in the gospel. It's because they are part of our family and we love them and we hold on to them and we are concerned about them because they're brothers and sisters in the gospel. You see, it's, let me give you a simple example of what this looks like. Some of you, and I'm not dissing you, I'm not, I'm not downing you, some of you sit in the exact same place every single Sunday. All right? And I'm going to be honest with you, for me, that's helpful because I can kind of see, oh, this person's not here, this person's not here. Some of you move around I can't keep up with you, all right? Don't, that's not a bad thing because you're actually you're doing that on purpose to meet new people, which is great. But listen, some of you sit in the same place every single Sunday, and that's okay. What you've done is you've suddenly have an opportunity to look around you because there's other people who sit in the same place every Sunday too. 
Right? So here's my challenge to you. When you're sitting in your same seat every Sunday, and you look over two aisles in front of you, or maybe an aisle behind you, and you realize, hey, somebody was sitting there last week. And somebody normally sits there, but they're not here this week. You know what? The, you come back next week, and they're not here the next week. Somebody, somebody sits there. You see, that chair that's in front of you, or chair beside you, or chair that's behind you, it's not just an empty chair. That's a person that was sitting in that chair. So you want to be concerned? You want to follow through with this verse? It means that you're concerned enough about whoever sits around you for the next week or two weeks that you look at them and be like, hey, I missed you. You just send them a simple text message. You pick up the phone and you call them, or maybe you even just jot it down on a card and you, you drop it in the mail and you say, hey, I miss seeing you. I love seeing you in church, and I missed you for the past couple weeks. If there's something going on, let me know because I'm concerned about you, and I want to pray with you and for you, and I love you, and I want to promote good works with you, and I want to promote love with you, but I love you, and I'm concerned, and I just want you to know that I missed you. And I want to share with you that you don't have to be a pastor to do that. You don't have to be a deacon to do that. In fact, you don't have to have any title whatsoever to do that. In fact, this passage is not telling the pastor to be concerned with the sheep. It's not telling the deacons to be concerned with the flock. It is written to every Christian who ever sat in a church pew to be concerned with each other. You can drop a card in the mail. You can send somebody a text message. And if you don't have their phone number, we got this beautiful online directory that we can send you access to. We can put you in. And all of a sudden, you've got phone numbers for everybody who's a member of our church. You've got an address for everybody in church. They can give you their name, their birth date, their anniversary, um, what, what type of shoe they like. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't give you that information. It may tell you their ice cream flavor. I wish. But uh, it tells you everything you need to know to do what this verse says. To reach out to them and connect with them in a way that is meaningful. And you don't have to wait for a pastor to give a phone call to somebody. Let's be honest with you. I may not notice if you're not here. It's not because I don't want to. Because there's 150 of you sitting here. And some of you sitting online. That I would love to connect with every one of you every week. But I can't do it. I miss some of you guys, and, and I'm sorry that I can't do it all, but listen, it shouldn't be just the pastor's job. It's not just the deacon's job. If you're a Christian, this verse applies to you. You see, the only thing you need to do what this verse says is a love for Jesus and a love for His people. You need a desire to fulfill the great commands, to love God and love His people. You need a desire to live out the gospel. That's it. And he says pay close attention to each other so that we can promote love and good works you see, we should be so invested in each other that we stimulate each other to do better. I love this word, to, to promote love. It, it means to stimulate. It also means to irritate or to aggravate. All right? I don't know if you've ever thought about that being a good thing, but sometimes to aggravate and to irritate can be a good thing. Sometimes there, there's this piece of sand that gets into an oyster and it aggravates the oyster. So much so that it provides, the, the, the God made this beautiful mechanism that it provides this mucus that surrounds this piece of sand. And when it surrounds that piece of sand, then it, it stops the aggravation. And then you and I later come along and we cut that oyster open and there's this beautiful pearl inside. There's something beautiful made out of the aggravation and irritation of sand. Let me bring you to this point. Sometimes people are going to be aggravated that you text them. 
Sometimes people are going to be irritated. that You're like, hey, I love you and I miss you. Hey, I love you and I miss you. Hey, I love you and I miss you. But guess what? The goal of your aggravation and irritation is to produce better for them. It is to make a pearl out of whatever the situation is. It is to make something beautiful and fascinating out of what's going on in their life. It is to spur one another on, to push each other further, and to lift each other higher so that we are loving and living out the gospel See, this is the encouragement that he talks about in the very last verse that we read in verse 25. And verse 25 doesn't start with the encouragement. He starts with this advice. And it says in verse 25, Don't stay away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the day drawing near is a reference to the end times. As we get closer to the end times, encourage each other all the more. And i got to share with you, we, we talked about the end times. We've been studying on Wednesday nights. And, and as we get closer to it, this world is going to get more chaotic. This world is going to fall into greater chaos. And we're going to need more encouragement to go through this world each and every day. Next week, we're going to get in another passage that talks about persecution. And we're going to need this encouragement. The closer we get to the end times, the more encouragement we're going to need. And so i got to be honest with you. And what he's telling you in this verse, it's really hard to invest in the lives of people if you don't see those people. It's really hard to connect with others and to promote love and good works within a community if you're not around the community. But let me give you another hard saying. It's hard for folks to fulfill this verse if you're the one that's missing. It's hard for folks to invest in your life and be concerned about you when you're not the one showing up in the community either. And so that's why it gives this warning. Don't stay away from this community. There's value in this community. There's essential things that happen within this community that you need to be part of. Let me close with one last story that I read a long time ago and I was reminded of uh, this past week as I was preparing for this sermon there was a, a pastor, and this was a long time ago, uh, there was a pastor who was going to set out and he was going to visit a church member who had quit coming, just a church member who, who kind of fell off the radar, that had been missing for a while. And uh, the pastor took note of it and somebody mentioned it to him, and so he went out to visit him. And so the pastor walked up to the man's door and the man just knew what was coming. He was like, well, here he goes. He's going he's gonna to launch into me. He's going to fuss at me. He's going to yell at me. He's going to tell me I need to be at church every Sunday. He's going to tell me that, that, that I'm, I should be there but he didn't. When the pastor walked in, the man was sitting by his fireplace. And he was sitting there at this fireplace that had these uh, pieces of coal that were just burning bright red in flames. And he was enjoying the heat of the fireplace. And the pastor walked in. He didn't say a thing. He walked over and he pulled up a chair next to the man by the fireplace. And he reached over with a set of tongs and he took one of those flaming burning coals that was bright red and producing so much heat. And he took it out of the fire and he just set it over to the side, right on the hearth there by itself. And he just sat back in the chair. Never said a word. He just sat there as both men stared at the fireplace. And then stared at this one piece of coal here by itself. You see, it wasn't very long. It didn't take just a few minutes to that one burning hot piece of coal that was so on fire and so bright red, producing so much heat, it started to fade. And then within just a few minutes, the red was completely gone. It was just a solid piece of black coal sitting there doing nothing. The pastor didn't say a word. He got up and got ready to walk out. And the man looked at him and said, I get your point. I'll be there next week. You see, the value of this place is that we need this place. The value of this place is because this is how we reveal Christ 
to the world. The value of this place is that, yes, you can draw near to God by yourself, but it's much easier when you're drawing near with a whole bunch of other people. The value of this place is that we can encounter God and we can grow in God in ways that we never could without this community. The value of this place is because this is where we learn the gospel. This is where we express our love for God. And this is where we live out the gospel each and every day that we are together. God wouldn't give us the church if there wasn't value in the church. Let's pray together.